Hey curious cuties, welcome to Curio City. Today's guest is Clementine Morgan, a controversial figure, a powerhouse, a writer, and a socialist. She's been making zines since the year 2000 and is the author of several books. She's one half of the fucking canceled podcast, and she's known for writing white text on a black background on Instagram. Nothing human is alien to her, and she seeks to face the whole human experience head on. She writes about healing, trauma, addiction, relationships, intimacy, courage, principles, and how to be human together on every scale from the personal to the interpersonal to the communal to the political. Curio City, please help me welcome Clementine Morgan. Clementine, welcome to Curio City. Thanks for having me. Um, so I've been a follower for a while and I just, I really do, like I said, find you so inspirational. Um, I just love the way that you approach hard topics. I am constantly sharing your black and white posts and they stir up some great conversation between me and my community. So um, I just wanted to say first off, like, thank you for what you do. It's an inspiration to so many. Thank you. That's very kind of you to say. Yeah. Well, um, let's dive in. Um, I have some questions for you today, just like I said, just to get to know you a little bit better um, mm -hmm. and your story. So can you share a little bit about uh, your journey as a writer and how it led uh, you to delve into zine making since 2000, which is a long time ago now? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, okay. I mean, I always was a writer. Um I have been writing since I was like a little kid. Um, and even before I was a writer, I was always like a storyteller mm -hmm. and a chatterbox. You know, I always oh, yeah. had a lot to say. Um, like an early story of my childhood was that like when I was like a little kid in daycare, I didn't want to take a nap during nap time. So I like struck a deal that I could like tell the other kids a story. Um, <laughs> oh, that's so cute. I love that. <laughs> Yeah, so I've always had a lot to say. I've always um, been a writer. And uh, yeah. when I was, I guess, like 12 or 13, I came across a book called A Girl's Guide to Taking Over the World, which okay. was a collection of zine, like writings from zines, excerpts from zines. Um, and it was definitely not an age-appropriate book. It was intended for an older audience. But when I discovered this book, like what was amazing to me about it is that all of these writers were talking about things that were profoundly taboo and that I knew in my day-to-day -day life that I was not allowed to talk about. Mm -hmm. And so in particular, like I was a queer child. I knew that I was queer, but I was not out of the closet. And there, these writers were talking about that, talking about being queer. And also um, I was experiencing abuse in my family and these writers were talking about that and so zines immediately were like this amazing space for me where I was like this is a place where people just tell the truth you yeah. know and where you can just say what's really going on um, and so I found out about a magazine called Broken Pencil Magazine which is a Canadian magazine that basically it still exists it reviews zines and so you could like write to people um, and order zines in the mail. And so, yeah, it was like the year 2000 and the internet was, you know, very new at the time. It did yeah. exist. And I was also online, you know, I had like uh -huh. an online diary and things like this. Oh, nice. Um, yeah. So like, like outside was, of MySpace, it was like your own. This is pre-MySpace. Yeah. This okay. Is, 
this is pre MySpace, <laughs> significantly pre MySpace. This oh, is like pre Live Journal. Okay? okay. Okay. Love it. Um, a pioneer. So yeah, and um, yeah. So like, there used to be these things called online diaries. There used to be different um, websites that hosted them. Mm-hmm. One was called Diaryland. And you could basically just, it like, the thing is, is that back then the internet was so anonymous, right? Like mm-hmm. it wasn't like how it is today. Right. It was like, you didn't have your picture. You could just write anonymously about things. Yeah. So I did do that kind of stuff too. But the internet was also like nowhere near as like expansive as it is today, because it was still early in the history yeah. of the internet. And so zines were this whole world. And I mean, part of it that made it different from the internet is that there's this intimacy of like holding this object in your hands that mm-hmm. somebody else made, you know, some yeah. other girl somewhere in the world, like literally like stapled this zine. Yeah. And so I, you know, was very involved with zine culture when I was younger, trading zines in the mail and writing zines. And I have written zines my entire life, like from that age of like 13 until now I'm 36. I love that. Um, and now it's my job. Now it's what I do for a living, um, which is a very weird thing. And yeah. it's just, I've done it so much and for so long that I built an audience. And then like with social media, like mm. because I blew up on social media with my little white text on a black background yeah. thing, um, it allowed me to like really increase my audience, which then means that I can like sell a lot of zines. So yeah. yeah. That's awesome. That is so cool. A true, a true pioneer, like I mentioned, like you really are. And it, I do feel like your Instagram is like truly like zine. It's like a zine version or a Instagram version <laughs> of like zine. Like it literally exists online in that way, which I think yeah. is really cool. Um, and I, I kind of reflects that because of the black and the white uh, mm. style. I feel like it gives that kind of just authentic, like raw text like you're talking about in zines like your Instagram posts like with that background and with like the style do you feel like it inspired it's inspired because of like your zine making like the black and white was that like a choice because of that does it complement your writing I think the thing is is that I am technologically not very with it okay (laughs) and so I'm still like this like I make zines with scissors and glue I do not understand how to use the programs that oh my god I do not know how to do that I don't understand how to do it and I tried to do it like someone was like this is crazy because I have all these zines and it's literally my job I still have like a folder with like the the paper like like basically you make it with the glue the first time and then you photocopy Mm -hmm. it once and then Mm -hmm. that becomes like your master copy that you photocopy from and I keep all of those in a folder and like so if I go and I'm like hey I want to photocopy this and like they said to me like okay can you send us the digital file there is no digital file it doesn't that is amazing so I'm just like that I have a serious block at understanding even though I obviously know how to work Instagram like I really don't understand how to do technological things at all and I find it stressful like I don't like it I like to do things in like a very basic DIY kind of way yeah so I feel like this does come across in yeah. uh, like the aesthetics <laughs> and like the because the, the ethics of zine making and the aesthetics that flow out of that are like you do with what you have yeah you yeah. don't wait until you're smarter you're more educated you're a better writer you don't wait until you have the money to buy the program to do the thing you don't wait until you go to school to get the degree like you just do it now with like what mm. you have and mm-hmm. it's like a punk aesthetic, you know, like zines yeah. come out of that. And so for me, like, that's always how I've done things. Like, I just do it with what I have. And, and so like, you know, I, I figured out sort of how to use this like app that I make the little text things on. Yeah. But like, 
my partner makes fun of me all the time because like, I really don't actually really understand how to use this app. And there's like a lot of other things that you can do with it, but I don't understand how to do that. I can barely figure out, like, there's like layers on this app and yeah. like, I had like 10 layers in there. I didn't know they were you there. You didn't even I couldn't know. <laughs> I couldn't find them. <laughs> that is amazing. Well, you know, people say that like the biggest thing for, for like being online and social media is like consistency and having like a look a brand like a way that you show up it's like you can change uh, this is what I've honestly been learning more recently like you can change what you what you say what you want to talk about but if you like deliver it in a similar style consistently like that's the thing that will keep your audience like with you um which has always been hard for me because for me I I, like see new trends and I'm like oh let me hop on that let me hop on that even though like Mm. I mean I'm also evolving and I'm like okay I need to like dial in and so accounts like yours it's like although yours is very minimal, (laughs) you're like on the other side of it. Uh, It's very, it's like inspirational because it's like, well, it's working because she's just always like showing up as you're just showing up as you. Um, and what is important to you is the thoughts behind like your posts and what you're saying and the conversations you're starting. Um, not the frills of the new trends or whatever is happening. And I think that's the thing because it's like Instagram is like not, it's not really a platform for writers, but like right. people have started using it in all sorts of different ways than it wasn't atten- that it wasn't intended for. Yeah. And like for me, it's like I'm just a writer. Like I don't, I'm not a visual artist. I'm not a designer, um, and I'm also just like one person. Like I don't have a team. You know, mm-hmm. I'm just Clementine. And so <laughs> I just, I just write. And so like I just, I'm like, okay, how can I put writing on Instagram? And yeah. I do it by putting it in these little squares or rectangles. And like. I didn't even intentionally like that aesthetic that has now become like the iconic Clementine Morgan. Yeah. Aesthetic, <laughs> it was totally random and like not, I didn't put any thought into it at all. I just opened up the app and I was like, okay, so I don't know why it's all like, it's aligned to like the right. I don't know why it's like that. I just did it randomly. And it's stuck ever <laughs> since. Yeah. So I, I love, and I, I like how you like describe zine being like kind of it's, you said it's kind of punk like that, the way you mm-hmm. don't have to like have things fleshed out. It's very like, you know, even for yourself, it's very like DIY. It's very like, mm-hmm. um, more like in the moment, whereas like full on fleshed out books, um, take a lot of time. And actually it's a part of a conversation I had recently. We were talking about how I, at one point would love to write a book, but I would have to like stop evolving so fast to do mm. that and to feel comfortable to do that. Um, because I began writing a, I've begun many a book. <laughs> um, but then I'm like, I, my, my focus and my passions kind of evolve as I evolve personally. And I'm like, I don't think I'm ever going to be able to fully get out a book because I can't sit on something for more than a year and a half or a year, um, and feel just as passionate about it when I started. So scene making is like, that's kind of, it's peaking my interest. I've published a bunch of books by making zines, right? Because it's like, I make a bunch of zines and then when I have enough of them, I turn it into a book. So I yeah. feel like it's like a good balance between the two because you don't just have to stay with one project the whole time. Like you can be putting things out and like, you know, yeah. doing as like changing as you're going, but then you can yes. compile things and edit it and turn it into a book at the end. So. I love that. So smart. Mm-hmm. Um, taking notes over here. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So I want to dive into, you know, you are, I mean, you're self-proclaimed, but I mean, maybe others would also agree that you're a controversial figure. Um, and I love, I mean, I'm, I'm here for it. <laughs> um, 
So, so how, how do you navigate the challenges and criticisms that come with your work and activism? So yeah, I call myself a controversial figure because I weirdly am a controversial figure. I don't personally think anything I say is very controversial, but it is definitely treated that way. So I just take it on. Yeah. Um, but like, look, so I talk about cancel culture and that's probably the most controversial thing that I talk about. I mean, I talk about other controversial things too, but my stance on cancel culture is very controversial. Mm. And for many years, I lived in fear of cancel culture, right? So even though I am this kind of personality that I've described where I've always been a writer, I've always had a lot to share. I've always been a thinker. Like I did go through a period of my life where I heavily Mm self-censored and where I lived in a lot of fear and a lot of like, you know, I was inhibited. I was like hesitating. I was like second guessing myself, not because I questioned my integrity or like my capacity to think carefully and sincerely about things, but because I knew that I was living in a culture that was so fucking intense at like criticizing people, but not just criticizing them, like casting judgment, tearing them down, character assassination, cancel culture. Yeah. And so I knew that I lived in that fear for so long. And, you know, I started to, I went through an internal process of basically deprogramming from cancel culture, where I started to allow myself to question it internally first and to be like, this doesn't feel right. Like, it doesn't feel right that we're treating each other this way. It doesn't feel right that I have to like tiptoe around and like say, I'm sorry when I'm not sorry. And when someone's being like absurdly rude to me. Um, So I'm just playing along with something that's actually very out of alignment with my integrity. And like, the thing about me is that like, I have had a really crazy life. I have complex PTSD. And so basically the life that I have and the person that I am has had to come through a huge amount of intentional work. Mm -hmm. I have been in therapy for 11 years. I spent a decade in 12 step programs. And so I did all of this work and I continue to do all of this work about getting really real with myself about who I am, about my integrity, about what I'm doing, about what I think and why, and about being like intentional in my actions, you know? And so it, it became impossible for me to lie to myself about this anymore, but I was still so scared that I wasn't really ready to just come out and be like, I am against this, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but I got canceled. I got canceled for unrelated reasons. And so it happened in 2020, which class of 2020, there was many people canceled that year. Yes. And, you know, I was just like accused about not sharing about BLM, which I had Mm -hmm. shared about. And then I got canceled because I said, I have shared about it. It was Mm -hmm. like extremely absurd, Mm -hmm. but the like, the extreme impact on my life was literally my worst nightmare. Like I lost all my friends. I had mm-hmm. to move. It was like very extreme international level cancellation. Wow. Um, but it set me free. And so after that, I was like, well, the worst has happened. The thing I was afraid of has happened. So I might as well just fucking tell the truth now. And I might as well just say what I think. And so now I do. And yeah. um, I have a podcast called fucking canceled where we talk about this kind of thing. I write very honestly on my Instagram and in my zines and in my Substack about my political positions and my thoughts on things. And, you know, I take the work of ideas very seriously. Like I am a careful thinker. I think there's a lot of people who kind of go through this process where when they are sort of like done with cancel culture, they kind of just say anything or they kind of like, there's like this thrill about saying things that you weren't allowed to say. And I, I like caution against that because I still think that like, we need to be 
you know, um, careful, responsible thinkers. And I'm still a leftist, like I'm a political thinker and I want to contribute to positive change in the world. Mm -hmm. So just because, you know, something is controversial doesn't mean that it's good or doesn't mean that you should say it just because it's controversial. I'm not like an edgelord, but like (laughs) I... Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and... 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. <laughs> but, like, I um, like I, I give myself the freedom to think very seriously and carefully about things and to express sincere disagreement when I have sincere disagreement and to say things that I know are going to challenge people. And I do my best to do it in a way that is like compassionate and, you know, measured, but also authentic and And personal. And you speak from very personal, the verbiage you use is is very personal, which makes it, I, I think very digestible. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, a lot of my ideas, come out of my own like you know my life and my my grappling with stuff over the course of my life and my experiences and stuff so yeah for sure like I ground it in my own perspectives and experiences yeah which I can always I can read uh because I can tell it's not to align with a certain set of beliefs um because if you were to combine all of the things that you've ever shared and posted like you couldn't fit you in a box like you you know you've spoken on many things from many different sides um and to give you a little bit of like my background so I was one of the first things that I did publicly that was like wrong right which set me free as you kind of use the verbiage um was I was once engaged to somebody else and I um it's just sent out like save the dates to over like 200 addresses it was like this big to do and I ended up calling it off. Um, and, you know, that was like a whole public thing. Um, and then I fell in love with my drummer. I was a musician at the time. I was actually in the Christian music industry, which is a whole, that's the next level of my transformation. Um, and so I fell in love with my drummer. So then that was like its own little scandal. Um, and then, but that set me free because that was the first Ooh. time that I was like, I am going to publicly make a choice that wasn't in line with like what everybody expected of me to keep going through with this I had said yes I was literally all I had to do was walk down the aisle that's I mean I did the whole thing was planned ready to go um and so being like I was I was so freed from that situation and like felt you know madly in love with my drummer who's now my husband um and my like my passcode on my phone it's I've announced this so many times on my podcast I feel like people are gonna be like we know we know but it's literally the it's 3733 it's free it spells out free Mm. and it's been that since you know I I called it off which was in 2016 
Um, and that's been something that has literally been my, my through line ever since. So then moving Mm. forward, you know, once I got married to now my husband, Adam, and we were going through our own transformation, we deconstructed our faith very publicly. Mm. Um, and like I said, we were in the industry of Christianity. (laughs) Um, and so I would say that was probably my first experience with, um, I wouldn't even say yes, cancellation, but it was more like I I just lost that community. It was more like mm-hmm. an abandonment type thing. I wouldn't say cancel because yeah. that's a whole that the repercussions are very different with cancellation. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then moving forward, right? Um, in twenty so twenty eighteen to twenty twenty one, I was deconstructed my faith and fell into a very social justice warrior. Right space which is like the natural pendulum swing this is that a, co- a common trajectory i've heard this like it's, story it's a from very com- yeah. yes it's very common our podcast even for years was called deconstruct we only recently changed it to curio city this year so mm. um it was a whole thing that was like our whole brand it was our whole mission you know all these things um and anyway i went on a trip to joshua tree with a bunch of girls you may have heard of it you may not have but it was a bunch of girls in this like post evangelical deconstruction type mm. space and a big cancellation ca- campaign okay. smear campaign came from that. Um, and a lot of my friends with a bigger following had a bigger fallout cancellation from it. Whereas me, I kind of like fell through the wayside. Also I am indigenous and part of the cancellation was like, mm. there's not enough like people of color and represented in this trip or whatever. Anyway, not to get into the details of that, Mm -hmm. but like I kind of fell through the cracks because they were like, well, we don't really know what to do with the indigenous mixed girl because like she kind of fits our narrative of what we expect from people, but not enough, you know? Um, So anyway, I didn't get the full like brunt of that cancellation, but it was like, I call it my cancellation attempt, right? That was like the the season I'd been through. So obviously since then and since 2020, 2021, like, I was like, okay, I need to readjust my my life again. Like, I need to be like, the whole social justice thing was not working out. I was like, mm. okay, critical thinking was really starting to come into play here. I was and, and things with COVID. Like, there was just so many conversations yeah. that were going on that I was like, wait, this is way more nuanced than these two conversations that are happening right now. So anyway, a lot of things were born from those I would say three major uh, events in my life. Uh, But Mm -hmm. I wanted to give you a little bit of my background to kind of give you an idea of like where I'm coming from and how I resonate with so much of what you talk about and what you stand for. And even for instance, I think you posted this recently. It was like a a selfie of you and you were like, basically the only thing you can count on in life is change. Mm -hmm. Um, Like everything changes, anything changes. And that's like one of my three life tenets is that Mm. the only thing you can count on is change. The only thing you can know is your own consciousness and life really isn't that serious. Those Mm. three things are my three tenets. Mm. Um, So I saw that and I was like, yeah, we have, we share a lot of the same ethos. Um, And so I just wanted to share a little bit of my story in that way. Totally. Yeah. I think that that's a really common trajectory. And I think a lot of people who come out of very religious backgrounds um, you know, they come out of that and they're like, wow, I, now I can think for myself and right. I have the freedom to think for myself. And like a lot of the things that social justice culture represents are things that are kind of like taboo in like religious context. Right. 
right? So it's like, okay, all of these things that are taboo in religious contexts, I'm now going to embrace. But then you get into social justice culture and you find another orthodoxy. You find yes. another place full of rules in which you're not allowed to think for yourself and which you're not allowed to ask questions. You know, there's a lot yes. of like taking things on faith um, and <laughs> yeah, it, it really getting is. punished if you say you disagree with something, um, getting exiled, excommunicated. Mm-hmm. And so like, there's a lot of actual parallels in the behaviors, like the content is different, but the right. actual like behaviors are very much the same. And, yes. um, and that's why I think like social justice culture, it is, it operates more like a religion yeah. than a politics. Um, and so, yeah, I feel like that's a pretty common story. And then people are like, okay, wait, I actually do want to think for myself. I do want right. to ask questions. That's why yes. I left religion in the first place. Yes. So now when I say like I left religion, I mean all all religion, (laughs) even social justice religion, like I've left that in the past, too. Um, So, yeah. okay. so for you and you have your podcast, uh, which Mm -hmm. I I listen to. I love fucking canceled. Um, Mm. What topics do you find, you know, the most compelling to discuss on your podcast? And like, how do you approach controversial subjects there? I guess. I mean, the podcast covers a lot of different things because mm-hmm. we basically want to break down like what we are calling right now, like the social justice religion, you know, mm-hmm. on the podcast, we call it the nexus. And we look okay. at the different components that come yeah. together within social justice culture, one of which is cancel culture and the other is identitarianism. And mm-hmm. identitarianism is like what you were referring to in the cancellation when they were like, oh, but this person is like indigenous. So we're not really sure what to do because we're supposed to be centering indigenous people, but like actually this doesn't really fit our narrative. So yeah, yeah, like that's an example of like identitarianism playing out. Um, And yeah, so we talk about cancel culture. We talk about identitarianism, but we're also interested in talking about like what to do next, you know, like because we are very um, like we're leftists and like, Mm -hmm. you know, when I say leftists, I don't, the only reason I am insisting on still calling myself a leftist is because I think that, you know, a lot of people who reject cancel culture, they start to go to the right. And mm-hmm. when I, when I say that, I mean, like they actually start to, um, they start to express right-wing values. Mm-hmm. And so when I say I have left-wing values, like what I mean is my fundamental principles are, is that every single person should have everything that they need to survive and to thrive in this world. Mm-hmm. And so I believe in socialism in the sense that like, I believe that workers should be, um, you know, controlling and being able to get the profits from their labor instead of a, a ruling class that extracts those profits and then does whatever they want, including destroying the planet through climate change, you know? Yeah. Yep. So I'm a leftist. Um, and so I want people to have their needs met. I want people to be able to benefit from their own labor. Mm-hmm. I want to have strong social security like nets so that people don't fall through the cracks if they're not able to work. You know, I want the like people who are old to be taken care of. I want there to be public transit. I want there to be health care, uh, all these types of things. So that makes me a leftist. And then also I believe in people's right to um, to be who they are. Right. And a big thing for me is the idea of tolerance. Like I think we live in a world where we're not all going to agree and we're not all going to actually we're not even going to accept each other and I think like the left sort of went to this place of like tolerance isn't enough we need like acceptance or even like celebration Mm. and I'm like well like it's nice if we can get there right it's like definitely positive if we can get there but it's also fine if we can just respect each other and be tolerant of each other even amongst our profound disagreements and differences because we live in a world with like billions of people we're not going to agree like people have very serious like important to them views that are like actually totally contradictory 
to each other. And so I'm like, you know, I'm like a, in some ways I'm a total stereotype of like the social justice people because I'm like queer, polyamorous, like, like there's like these memes that are like, oh, the polycule is going to the BDSM dungeon after the anarchist book fair. And like, that's just an accurate description of my life, you know? <laughs> and, <laughs> and that's fine. Like yeah. I'm allowed to be this way. I like my culture. I like yep. being this way. But I also don't need everybody else to be this way. And I don't need everybody else to even understand or even like accept that I'm like this. They just need to be able to be respectful. Okay. And yeah. same to me, like yeah. to people who are more conservative than me or who have more traditional values than me or who are religious or something, you know, like I can be respectful of them. Yeah. Um, and without without needing to like 100% go on board with everything they believe in. Right. So there's a lot of that that we talk about on the podcast. Um and I don't know, like we cover so many things, it's kind of hard to like focus in on anyone in particular. Yeah. But I think like the heart of it for me is like trying to, you know, cause I'm talking about this stuff about being a leftist, but like ultimately what I want to encourage in people is like a, is that their politics, whatever their politics are, should flow out of their principles, mm-hmm. right? And so if you have your principles, your politics should should naturally flow out of that. Yes. And and so principles are things like, you know, I believe in kindness, compassion, tolerance, like respect of difference, curiosity, um whatever. I have a lot of them. Um yeah. responsibility, humility. These are these are some of my principles. And so when I'm making decisions in my life in general, but especially like when I'm making decisions politically like what are my politics like what are what am I for and against how do I want the world to be I check them against my principles I'm like does this align with my principles and like you know the idea of somebody um you know dying because they can't access medical care Mm. because they can't afford it is 100% against my principles because my principles are about valuing all human beings as equal and being able to have what they need right so that's why it leads me to being a leftist because those are my principles and so there's so much on both sides of the political spectrum and in many different types of cultures and contexts, there's so much like, because I said so, like, I want you to believe this because I told you to. And I don't want that. I don't want people to even agree with me on what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. I want them to feel empowered to become responsible, ethical thinkers and actors in the world. Yeah. So that means like each person really needs to think about their own principles and why they have those principles and then think about their own actions and their own politics and see if those flow out of their principles or if there's contradictions. And if there are contradictions, if there's certain things that we advocate for politically that actually, you know, are not in alignment with some of the deeply held principles that we say we have, mm. then that is like a good point to like check it and be like, oh, am I right. acting in accordance? And that's why I abandoned cancel culture, right? Because I was like, that actually is against my principles. Because my principles are about kindness, you know, extending empathy. Um, And so when I treat people like they're disposable, it's actually counter my principles. Yeah. Yeah. That makes so much sense. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Your focus on healing and um, you talk about trauma and addiction and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and and relationships, like everything Mm -hmm. you talk about is very expansive. Um, How do you weave these themes like do you try to find like consistency like through them to create a like a cohesive narrative across your body of work or are they all just so individually um fueled I suppose 
Well, I don't think I'm doing anything on purpose necessarily, yeah. but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you're like, I don't know. I just throw it up there. But it's like, I think very deeply about things. Right. Yeah. And so relationships are fascinating to me. And like mm-hmm. a lot of my work, you know, it all, like, I kind of see things on, a, on like a different levels, yeah. but they're, they're the same kinds of themes are playing out on different levels. Mm-hmm. Right. And so mm-hmm. you can actually look like, if you actually look at what I'm talking about at the level of like, say interpersonal, like even before that personal growth, recovery, healing, like recovery from trauma, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And then you move up to the level of like interpersonal relationships, like relationships in partnership, relationships in friendship. And then you move up to the level of like community and relationships and community. And then you move up to a larger, like political level or like a geopolitical level and international like level. When you're looking at all of these different levels, I still think that the through line for me is the principles, right? Mm -hmm, And so there's like, you know, I, I look at, um, I read all these books for therapists. I constantly just read books for therapists. I'm not a therapist, but the reason I read all the books for therapists is because I have, or like, I'm basically pretty much recovered now, but like I have complex PTSD and like, I used to have so much mental health problems. Like I was really, like I was locked up in psych wards multiple times. Mm -hmm. I was like a an alcoholic, like a street involved alcoholic, very crazy, like totally openly crazy in the world, like panhandling and screaming at people, you know, Mm. that was my life. And I had so much trauma, so much like repetitive trauma. And so when I slowly started to get out of that, I really was just like, I need to do everything that I can to try to get my life back, to try to heal from all of this stuff that has happened to me. And so I wanted to understand the work that I was doing in therapy. I wanted to be like an active participant in that. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to learn everything that I could learn to understand why I was the way that I was and how I could change. And so I learned all this stuff about therapy and, you know, was a very active participant in my, in my therapy life and still am. And there's this one modality that I've come across and it's called internal family systems. Mm, I love that. Um, mm-hmm. and, and internal family systems is a therapeutic modality that basically says all people have different parts of themselves. Inside themselves, there's different parts of us, right? And so that's, you can see that when we say like, a part of me wants this and a part of me wants that, right? And these different parts of ourselves, they're trying to keep us safe and they're trying to do whatever they can to keep us safe. But sometimes the things that they think are going to keep us safe are like based in outdated narratives from older times when we were children and maybe we were experiencing trauma or we were experiencing things that were totally out of our control. And so those parts are like operating in this like situation. And so from that perspective, we can have parts of ourselves that do totally crazy things that are very out of alignment with our principles, right? We can have parts that are acting from so much pain that they're just behaving in horrible ways towards themselves and towards other people and maybe causing a lot of damage in the world, maybe like hurting people a lot. And so the the modality in um, internal family systems is based on this idea that there are no bad parts. And there's a, the book, No Bad Parts by Richard Schwartz, like that's what he talks about in this book, that all of these parts are just trying their best mm-hmm. to keep us safe. Yeah. And it's not about condemning them, it's not about punishing them, and it's not about trying to get rid of them. It is about compassionately listening to them mm-hmm. and trying to understand the pain that these parts are in and yeah. why they're doing what they're doing and trying to come into a trusting relationship so that those parts can actually feel safe enough to let go of the strategies that are not working and start to do something healthier. And so that's just at the level of like inside your own mind, right? Yeah. 
right. then when you start to move up that like that that therapeutic model is exactly in alignment with my politics on like right. a larger scale right. because when we start to move up that's the way that i advocate for how we treat each other in interpersonal relationships, mm -hmm. right? Like I read books about like couples therapy and like I'm polyamorous. So lots of experience with relationships and mm -hmm. relationship conflict, drama, whatever, and like trying to move through that. And so it, the same thing is true at an interpersonal level, right? Yeah. When we point our fingers and we condemn, we don't actually get the results we want, but when we are vulnerable and we actually express from our heart, our feelings, and we invite the same in other people in a curious and non-condemning way, we get better results. And then when you move up to like a more like community level or we're asking questions like, what do we do about people who are abusive? What do we do yeah. about people who have done really bad things? Yeah. Well, I have the same kind of approach. I'm like, okay, well, people do really bad things because they're in pain. People yeah. are abusive because they are struggling. And so how do we actually like resource those people and try to help empower them to make better choices for themselves that instead of just condemning them and getting rid of them, right? Yeah. And so we can keep moving up in the scale. But I feel like to me, it's organically kind of the same thing. I love that. It's kind of like your principles are a little bit like how I think of like my tenets, but there's mm -hmm. potentially a little bit more in depth and probably more principles than my three tenets. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I would say like some of my principles are like autonomy and curiosity. Mm. Mm. Um, so yeah, just hearing about those and your, the way that you kind of, um, handle your internal, like how you deal with things internally is reflected in how you deal with others, um, I think really speaks a lot about how well you know yourself. And um, so I always applaud that. And um, I it's something that Curious Cuties, which is our audience, um, <laughs> that a lot of us like tend to uh, lean towards and that we have in common and we, you know, try to push for is mm. treat. It's not just like you know, I recently had a conversation and we were talking about how the treat others, how you would want them or how you'd want right. to be treated. That's true. Um, but there's also a point to where like not everyone wants to be treated the way you want to be treated. Yeah, totally. So, and most of the time for my personal experience, it's, it most of the time people don't want to be treated the way I want to be treated. For sure. Um, and so it's like finding that balance between like, this is how I'm dealing internally with myself and caring for myself and how I want to take care of other people. And then also having to, that balance of being like, okay, so many other people aren't going to necessarily respond to the way I'm responding to them um, in a positive way. And, you know, navigating other people's uh, expectations of us in that way has been um, an experience for sure. Totally. I think curiosity like is such a fundamental principle. And I guess yeah. that's an important one for you guys on this podcast. Yeah. And it's like, it's something that I think we can kind of just give lip service to and not really think deeply about what that means, right? right. To be curious, mm -hmm. because to be curious means to admit that you don't know, right? Like to be curious means always knowing that there's more to find out. And it's always like, a question mark. Yeah. And like orienting yourself towards the world and towards other people, not with like, oh, I have this preconceived notion that I'm trying to project onto you right. or I'm trying to make the facts match something that I already think going into it, which is unfortunately the way a lot of us relate, like in our arguments with our friends, mm -hmm. you know, in our political, like in our political understandings of the world, like yeah. we start with a preconceived notion and then we try to make things fit mm -hmm. instead of entering into it being like, okay, what am I like, what can I understand about this? How can I right. enter into this with curiosity and also like humility? Because I think curiosity and humility go together because 
like the like social justice culture is not fucking humble. It is so <laughs> arrogant. Yeah. In in the way that people are always just like, I'm educating you. I'm letting you know. And yeah. I'm telling you. Like, and I'm yeah. like, well, I actually understand what you're saying. I can't right. understand it. Yeah. I just don't agree with you. Right. And like that's not really allowed, right? And so that is like the arrogance of like assuming that everybody has to agree with you and that people can't be curious and think deeply and come to different conclusions. Yeah. Um, yeah. For sure. And I know you spoke about this like a little bit, but, you know, being a socialist, like how do you believe um, your political beliefs intersect with your views on your personal and interpersonal relationships? Well, yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of like, I, I think my most fundamental belief is that all beings want to be seen in the preciousness of their singularity yeah (laughs) so like each being and like i do even extend this to non-human animals Mm. but also obviously all human beings like there's only one of them there's only one you there's only one me and we are precious you know and we only have this precious life and we are constantly living in a world that is dehumanizing and that is like degrading that that is treating us in a way that does not honor the sacredness of our specificity. Yeah. The fact that there is only one. And so I really try to live my life in a way in which I try to remember that and hold on to that. Yeah. That like every single person that we encounter in our day-to-day lives is someone. Yeah. And in that way, like they, you know, they aren't exactly like me. It's this paradox of like, they are both, actually shockingly like me and also fundamentally very different and being able to hold those things together at the same time right because it's like what you were saying about how like you know treat other people how you want to be treated well people are not exactly the same and you know what what might extend care to me might come across as like rude to someone else or something Mm -hmm. like that right but there are certain things that we fundamentally hold in common which is like you know some of the basics are we definitely need shelter from the elements in Mm -hmm. order to not die Right. We need to eat food. We need healthcare. You know, we need yeah. safety, um, and we need love. We need relationships. We need yeah. community, um, and we need like the opportunity for like self-expression and for like you know self-actualization. These types of things, right. and so my politics come directly out of that right. because I'm like anything that does not see people mm. is something that I cannot get behind, yeah. and capitalism is fundamentally dehumanizing because Mm -hmm. capitalism is like oh you want these things that you need to live you have to work for it and if you can't if something goes wrong if you're not it's it's very cruel because it's like oh sorry your kid got sick and now you have all these bills bouncing because you didn't have your insurance didn't cover this illness that your kid has well too bad now you're gonna lose your house like that is just fucking cruel to me like I cannot you know and so I want a politics that is like that sees that as just so fucking wrong in which we do not abandon people in this way and like I think you know people who are proponents of capitalism they want to believe that like you know that if we actually gave people what they need then they would just be lazy and greedy and whatever (laughs) and I don't believe that because I believe that people fundamentally are are for the most part curious and Mm -hmm. interested and and want to contribute and want to do things they may not want to work a shitty job for a shitty wage. That's true. Yeah. But I think that people all have something really um, significant to contribute to the world 
and they actually would contribute it if they weren't too busy working like survival jobs to get their fucking basic needs met. I think about it all the time that I'm like, you know, we're facing things like climate change and like really serious issues and people who have like genius minds who could really come up with serious like solutions to this are probably currently living in abject poverty, do not have access to education, do not have access to what they need to actually develop the genius that they have that could contribute like huge things to humankind but capitalism is keeping them totally shackled. You yeah, know? I think so, about that too. Yeah, it's like devastating, but that's like what puts in the passion for the for the work, mm-hmm. you know, that you do. Absolutely. And um, part of the things that you do, like obviously we've talked about how you are a writer at heart. Like that's like your main driver with how you get your messages across. Yes, you have a podcast, but like through and through you have been and you always will be a writer. Um, Mm. And so I would love to, you know, get some insights from you about like your writing process and how you approach talking um, or tackling such diverse topics and what drives your creative process in in that. It's a very funny answer that I have to this question, but basically I always say that writing, the process of writing for me is primarily walking around, thinking my thoughts and feeling my feelings. And so... (laughs) Heard. I I get you. I honestly, I get you. I have to do that. I have to have a lot of space to just think my thoughts and feel my feelings. And I think that like, you know, to be a writer, you know, whatever kind of writing you're doing, but especially if you're writing about, you know, like, because I'm not a fiction writer. So Mm -hmm. maybe fiction writers have some kind of different thing that they're doing. But I write about the world. Like I write about relationships, people, like what's going on. I write about my own life. I write about, like, I make meaning out of the experiences of being alive and like trying to figure out what we're, what we're fucking doing here, you know? And so in that work, it's like a lot of that is just me fucking trying to figure it out. Right. And I'm always trying to figure shit out. So I'm thinking about it. I'm reflecting on my relationships. I'm reflecting on my experiences and I read a lot. I think reading is a really important part of being a writer because you're like putting all these ideas in your brain that you can then work with. Right. And so I expose myself to a lot of different kinds of thinkers and like I have a wide range from like political thinkers to like, you know, like I was saying, all these books for therapists to I read a lot of fiction and uh, and then I, I talk a lot about ideas. And so my closest relationships and the relationships that are the most important to me, my co-host is also my partner as well. So okay. I can relate yeah, to that. Yeah, that's like, yeah. Um, <laughs> same, same. And so when you have that like intellectual and like ideas-based connection, like for me, that's so important to relationships. Like my closest relationships are ones where we can just talk and talk and talk about ideas, right? Yeah. And so that's a place where my ideas are being generated as well. And then the actual writing is sort of like, the end part of it, you know, the mm-hmm. writing is like, once those ideas are percolating and they're happening, then I sit down and I write and I don't have uh, a consistent writing practice. I don't wake up at a certain time and write every day or something like that. I'm extremely chaotic in everything that I do. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just who I am. But like, you know, I just, I try to make sure that I do a certain amount of writing every month and I try to like meet certain deadlines for myself, but like how and when I do that is flexible. Um, And it's mostly just to me, it's the work of ideas. And if I am like engaging seriously with thinking, then the writing will come. Okay. Yeah. I love that. Okay. I'm going to ask a selfish question that you may hate. I'd actually have no idea where you stand on this sort of stuff. (laughs) Um, But do you know like any of your, like whether it's Zodiac, Enneagram, Myers-Briggs, like any of that stuff, do you know? I know two of those things. Okay. Tell tell Um, me what, what they are. I am a Capricorn. Okay. 
very much a Capricorn from I know that I'm a Capricorn sun moon and Mercury um, oh my oh wow mm-hmm. okay so very yeah, Capricorn. So I'm a serious serious Capricorn I'm a Capricorn and, moon yeah so and I don't like know a huge amount about astrology only like the basic level of it but I can yeah. say that I strongly identify with the mythology like of Capricorn okay because cool. the way that I am as a person is I'm like there's a mountain I'm gonna climb it yeah and I'm like <laughs> <laughs> makes sense <laughs> like stubborn single-minded like playing the long game one foot in front of the other all yeah. of that I high key relate to Love. um and then in I know my Myers-Briggs my Myers-Briggs is INFP okay um and I somewhat wonder and I, I feel like I've kind of gone through this process in trauma healing mm-hmm. where I feel like the introversion may be trauma related mm-hmm. as opposed to being my natural state because mm-hmm. As a child, I was extremely extroverted in the sense that, like, I was always the kid that was like, like, they were like, is there a volunteer? I was always like, me! And I would, yeah. like, jump on stage, you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then as I got super traumatized, I became a lot more, like, closed off. And so yeah. in my healing, I have noticed that I have become more extroverted as the recovery process has gone on. Right. Um, but I haven't done the test again to see if I'm, like, switching to ENFP or not. Yeah. Um, but I was always INFP when I was the last time that I did it okay okay great do you know human design or anything like that I feel like people have talked to me about this oh wait okay is this the number thing no is it no Enneagram's the number thing okay I think Enneagram I know is... the number thing okay Enneagram Someone is told one me. through nine so you're like one of the numbers one through nine I think I'm an eight is okay. that the crazy leader one that like that's is like, like really the challenger time? yeah <laughs> <laughs> so that very much checks out for you um <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I don't know a lot about that, but yeah, like I did a test once, and somebody also was like, "I think you're an eight, and I think that's what the test said. So, no, yeah, it, I think it, that seems true. That makes sense for you. I mean, Capricorn, Enneagram eight, like all these things are like checking out. Okay, not that any of those things really matter. It's just fun. I like to ask in case like people really identify, or if you like. Some people I'll ask and they tell me they're zodiac, and they're like, "I," but I actually don't resonate at all. So it's like mm. just fascinating for me to hear what people. Mm-hmm. Um, are, I personally, I'm a Virgo, Capricorn Moon. I'm an Enneagram Five, which is like researcher. Okay. Um, and anyway, so oh, in Myers Briggs, I'm INTJ, so okay. thinker, and then judgment or whatever it is at the end. Um, yeah. But yeah, so anyway, I find that really fascinating. So thank you for indulging in my <laughs> my question. I have a lot of water <laughs> in my chart. Like okay. I'm um Mars, Pisces, and Okay. Uh, Venus Scorpio. And okay. so I think like with the INFP as well, like the, the whatever it is, like the feeling and perceiving, uh-huh. like, cause even though I have this extremely driven like energy, yeah, it is also underneath that, like a very water, like emotions, perceptions and vibes. I was actually but- getting very watery vibes from you in the sense of like, I mean, I was honestly thinking cancer. I don't know what your rising sign is, but I, I feel like water makes sense. It's very like it kind of yeah, my, my rising is on the cusp of cancer and Leo. Okay. okay. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Wow. But you're a Leo rising. Well, this is the thing because I don't actually know because the question is, when was I really born? Oh, and like the answer that like my, my mother gave me, like it's six 30, but like, that just seems like exactly on the dot. And I also, I don't know. And I also just, 
I don't know if I like trust the source, you know? Yeah. And I saw this astrologer one time and like yeah. the first thing that they said to me was like, yeah. they were like, are you sure about your rising? Like, are you sure about the time? Cause that time puts me like literally right at the cusp of Leo. Okay. And they were like, that they were like, are you sure about this? And then the, the second question that they asked me is they were like, what's your relationship been like with your hair? And I was like, what do you mean? But really the relationship with my hair has been quite intense because I like, I always had like fire engine red hair when I was young, yeah. like I dyed it. Okay. And then I, and then I like went through a, like, a whole thing and I like was dyeing my hair and then I shaved my head and like now I'm like a blonde, you know? Yeah. And so <laughs> like, anyway, that's apparently very Leo. It is. Yeah. Leos like love their hair and they're yeah. always adorning their hair. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So in that way, the astrologer was like, you're like the time you have puts you at cancer, but I feel like you might actually be a rising Leo. So oh, I don't know. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, yeah, those, those little t- <laughs> tiny shifts can make all the difference because yeah. your rising sign determines all the rest of your, your, um, chart. It's yeah. your chart. Your so rising sign is your chart leader. So who knows? So, you know, maybe one day you'll find out the truth of the time, mm-hmm. but until then we'll just keep going. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So you did talk about your principles and how they play like a, a role in your work. Um, how do they shape the way like you engage with your audience? Mm, okay. Yeah. I have a very, people get mad about the way that I engage my audience because I have boundaries. Um, <laughs> people don't like those. People don't like those. And I have a re- I have really strong feelings about this because I actually think that like what I am is a writer mm-hmm. and I am a public intellectual and a thought leader. And I know that I'm not allowed to say that because we are supposed to pretend that we are not these things when we are oh. these things, you know, especially yeah, if you're a woman, you're not yeah. allowed to say that, you know, right. people get you're really right. fucking mad at me when I call myself a public intellectual. They're like, she is not a public intellectual. And I'm like, I'm actually a public intellectual that I know that. Like I literally am, <laughs> but okay. <laughs> so the thing is, is like, you know, there's, there have always been people who do the work of ideas and who practice leadership in terms of thinking about ideas publicly and like, you know, modeling new ways of thinking about things. There's always been this and many of them are writers, but they don't always take the form of writers. Sometimes they're artists, sometimes they're like politicians, sometimes they're organizers, like they can take different forms. I'm a writer primarily, but I am a thought leader. I am one of these people who is like shaping ideas and then putting them out into the culture and changing the culture. And I know that I'm doing that. And like the, um, so in the past, you know, before social media, we did not, have this sense of entitlement to those types of workers because it is work. true we would read their books and like listen to them speak and we would think about their ideas you know and I do encourage people to take their process of thinking about the ideas seriously and not just to like take it on right like you have the right to question it you have the right to disagree with it if you're a responsible thinker you will question it and you probably will disagree with it often but we would not like if I read a book by someone who whose ideas I really like I'm engaged with and respect and there's like aspects of it that I strongly disagree with, I don't write to that person and demand that they have a one-on-one debate with me about it or yeah. that they like publicly like hear me out on my perspectives, right? What I would do and what used to be more normal in the past is that I would talk about it with my friends and I would mm-hmm. express my opinions about it to my friends. Maybe I would have a book club where we would discuss these ideas. And if I felt very moved and very passionate, I might feel called 
to enter into the arena and also take part in public discourse. So I might right. write a book review. I might write my own article that expresses my own ideas or that critiques the ideas of the author, these types of things. That's, that's you know, engaging in discourse and that's perfectly fine. But comment sections are this insane thing where people think that they have the right and the entitlement to engage in a one-on-one -on -one interaction with someone who is a public intellectual or yeah. a public artist or a public creator of some kind. And it's like, sorry, I don't have the time and the energy and the capacity to engage with thousands of people that way. I simply yeah. don't. And I also don't believe that it is a good idea for me to just leave my comment section totally just open because it gets chaotic in there. And also people misrepresent what I said. And like, I'm a very yeah. careful writer and I mm -hmm. take pains to be very clear, as clear as I can, you know, and I think I'm pretty good at that. Yeah. But people do struggle with reading comprehension <laughs> and people do often read in a way where they project a feeling they're having onto it or yeah. what they're reading reminds them of something else. Right. And so they respond to like what they emotionally feel about it or what it reminds them of. And in doing that, they misrepresent what has actually been said. And then other people read that and then they too begin to misrepresent what's actually been said. And that really yeah. bothers me because it mm -hmm. dilutes the clarity of my work. And so I do not allow for this type of thing in my comments. Yeah. I do not enter into debates in my comments. I do not like just let people misrepresent my work in my comments. And so I have a closed comment section and I basically only like I people who I follow can comment. And even then mm -hmm. I restrict people freely. Like if people are engaging in this way where they're trying to like constantly debate me or something, yeah. I just don't do it. Like I'm like, I'm not doing that. Yeah. So that's like the main thing with that. And I know that like being a leader or being in some kind of position like this is very fraught. Because yeah. people, we live in a culture that simultaneously like pedestalizes people who do this kind of work and like, uh, and like holds them up in a way that is not like, it's not true that this type of work is like inherently better. There's actually positives and negatives of doing this type of work. There's a lot of really cool things about it. And there's also a lot of really annoying things about it. And there's a lot of really hard things about it as well. And as much as we want to be like, oh, like, cause people be like, well, how come you get to be a writer? Right. But it's like mm. a lot of people who might feel that way don't actually want to be a writer. You know, mm. they just like the idea of it or the way that it sounds like there's this guy named, I think, Mark Manson, who wrote a book called How to Unfuck Your Life or something. It's okay. like a self-help yeah. guy. Yeah, yeah. He wrote this it. thing about how he like always thought he wanted to be a rock star. Right. Yeah. And he was like, of course, I want to be a rock star. It sounds great. You know. Yeah. But then he's like, I actually hate playing music. I hate <laughs> I hate practicing guitar. Like I don't want to do any of the things that are involved with being a rock star. So I really mm -hmm. just like the idea of being a rock star, but I don't actually like the work of being a rock star. And I feel like a similar thing applies here where it's like many people might like look at what somebody who is, you know, a, a writer or a public figure, what they might like the, the bells and whistles. They like, they, Oh, it looks really cool. Right. that you get to do that. But it's like, do you actually want to do the work that I'm doing? Right. Um, and if you do like, then you should. But like, if you don't, then just, it's fine. Like people have different things to contribute to this world and not all of us want to do this kind of work and that's fine, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think people have a very fraught relationship with leaders and I think we need to fucking chill out about that. I also think that leaders are supposed to be mentored and we don't have mentors anymore. Like, mm. so leaders are just out here trying to figure shit out on our own. And we have to like weirdly disavow the fact that we're leaders because it's seen as like arrogant to just admit that we are. 
Right. But, but we are. And so it's like, how do you learn to be a leader responsibly when it's like taboo to even admit that you are a leader? And when you're never really given an opportunity to actually like talk to leaders who are older than you and who have had more experience than you, um, you know, so I try to model that, you know, like I'm someone who like, I really encourage people to step in their leadership. If they feel called to be leaders, if they have something to offer, if they want to enter into the discourse, I really encourage that. And I try to model, you know, what I've learned through this process um, as much as I can. But yeah. And then the other thing is just like the parasocial relationship thing, which is just that like people have a parasocial relationship sometimes in which they feel a heightened sense of intimacy with someone that they don't know. And they, they think that because they strongly relate to the work or they have read a lot of it, or they've listened to a lot of it, that that entitles them to a certain degree of real relationship with the person that isn't actually there. And so I feel like anyone who's a public figure in some regard, especially in the age of social media has to deal with that to some extent. And -hmm. I feel like, you know, people can be responsible with that and sort of admit that like, there's a bit of a parasocial vibe going on, but I know that and I'm owning it and I'm not going to project that onto you, which is cool. And then other people have no self-awareness about it and it can get (laughs) into like very inappropriate territory. Yeah, for sure. Well, I, I really appreciate the boundaries that you have. I appreciate, like the thing is like you, cause the discourse with other people and I can speak from experience because you don't have like a lot of the times you have comments like shut off and there's not Mm -hmm. not a whole lot going on in your posts it forces me to take that post and post on my my story and create discourse there or send it to a group message have discourse there and I feel like what you're wanting and what you're looking for you're Mm. actually getting by turning off that comment section and I hadn't really thought about that as like a a reasoning for it necessarily but I that clearly is one of the major benefits of doing like such thing um and so that's just another thing that I'm like yeah I I love that I want to encourage people to take responsibility for their thoughts and for their own desire to take part in discourse. And I don't want people to make me responsible for that. Like I want them to be responsible for it. Like you already did the work. Like you already thought your thoughts, you already took time navigating how you wanted to communicate this message. Your, your role is not like deciphering with everybody else. Like you've already done that with yourself enough. Like your job is done now. Exactly. And I think that there's this very, like people are like, well, what you don't want feedback. And I'm like, the, in order for me to have arrived where I am with whatever it is that I just said, there was a lot of feedback because like yeah. I said, I talk to people at length. I read at length. Like, it's not like the idea just came out of the void. It's like it came through right. a very careful process of thinking that already included listening to a lot of different perspectives. Yes. So I think people are just annoyed because they're like, but what about my perspective? And I'm like, yes, what about your perspective? Yeah. Why don't you go and share your perspective? Like take responsibility for that. And like you're saying, like, put it in your stories. Like people do it all the time. You can post my thing and write what you think about it. You can also use that as like a jumping off point. I see things on Instagram that annoy me all the time where I'm just like, this is annoying. And I don't agree with it. Even from people who I respect, you know? Yeah. And I do not, even though of course there's a little part of me that wants to get in the comment section and be like, well, actually I'm like, no, they have the right to say that they're contributing to the discourse. I also have the right to contribute to the discourse. And if I have a slightly different view on this, I can always write about it myself and and make my own perspective known, you know? Yep. Yep. I love, I love that. (laughs) Um, uh, Okay. So as you've written now, like multiple books, right? Mm -hmm. 
Um, and as an author of several books, which work are you most proud of, if you can choose? And what message or impact do you hope your books convey to your readers? So I think my favorite book that I've written is Fucking Magic, um, which is a collection of the zine Fucking Magic that I wrote over the course of like, I don't know, maybe five years or something. Mm. Um, and it's still like, it's funny because I, I really relate to what you said about changing all the time because like, mm. I don't even feel like I'm remotely the same person that I was when I wrote that book. And it's only yeah. been a few years since that series concluded, but I have changed fucking profoundly in those years so I don't even feel like that book necessarily represents me but it represents the process that made me who I am Mm. in in a Mm -hmm. significant way um so that book is really important to me um and what was the second part of the question it was and what message or impact do you hope your books convey to readers I think especially with my books like because my books are a lot more of the personal side of the work that I do. They're less overtly political and they're more about like introspection and like growth and personal work. And I think like the main message that I have from that side of my work is that I'm like, whatever it is, you can face it. Mm -hmm. And I think that people are afraid to face many things inside of themselves and we actually live in this way where we are kind of like putting up these like barricades inside of ourselves so that we don't have to look at certain things so that we Mm. don't actually have to look at them and face them because then we will have to feel them and we will have to like really face and reckon with huge things you know and I think a lot of us carry things that are very painful and perhaps even unthinkable like we cannot think them we can't look Mm. at them and it results in a very dissociative way of relating to ourselves and to each other and to the world and so I am very much in favor of looking at the thing and facing it no matter how painful it is and no matter how difficult it is and so much of my life and my work has been about that process of like you can face it And it might be very hard to face it. And, you know, I recommend getting a therapist and like getting the supports so that you can do that work. But I think that when we do face those things inside of ourselves and we allow ourselves to be transformed through the, the curious and compassionate witnessing of our own life and like what we have been through and what has happened to us and what we have felt and what we have done, um, we will be transformed through that. And then that will allow us to come into a much more of a conscious and intentional relationship to our lives and ourselves and our relationships and our world. Love that. I love that. That's like a little bit more of a, the softer side of things. And it's about like, yeah, just embracing that for yourself. Like you said, like introspection, which I, I super love. It's something that it's again, another shared ethos of like, you know, facing whatever it is like that it, it brings that freedom um, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's something internal or whether it's like, it's a something public that you have to like break up with the fiance or, you know, whatever it is, it's like that. And mm-hmm. I feel like it really bridges that gap and brings you into the next phase of your life, which is that freedom beyond, mm-hmm. um, whatever that, that is. Um, yeah. So yeah. And I do think more people than we know, or like admit, like more people than we would suspect actually do live with things that they feel are somehow outside of the realm of like what could be accepted Mm -hmm. or known or faced you know whether it's things that have happened to them or things that they've done they just feel like like they have shame you know like they have shame that there's this thing about them that if people knew it they couldn't be accepted into the human community and they couldn't be loved Mm. and so they just do all of these like 
backflips and like gymnastics to never really look at it and to try to push it as far away as possible. And I think this causes so much dysfunction in our world. And so, you know, so much of the work that I do is about being like, whatever it is, you can face it. And whatever it is, it is part of the human experience. And like, you are not alone in that. There are other people who have also gone through whatever it is and have faced it, you know? And so, yeah, I really welcome that in people. And I think it's some of the hardest work. And I think like, if we like looking at the cycle of abuse, like, I really believe that the reason that the cycle of abuse continues is because people don't face the thing. Yeah. And so I'm like, face the thing. And then that's how we will transform. Yeah. Embracing the whole human experience is something that we talk about a lot here. Mm. Um, and I know it's something that's like really important to you. Um, your commitment to facing the the entire you know, human experience is evident. It's evident in who you are. It's evident in your work. Um, this is going to be the last question, but mm. how do you believe this perspective, you know, how, how do you believe this per- perspective contributes to your unique voice in the literary and the writing and the podcast realms? I mean, I often feel that like, a lot of people who are talking about things very theoretically in the political world have not only not lived the kind of fucked up life that I've lived, but also don't ever know anyone who has, you know, because not a lot of people who have had the kind of life that I've had get out and are actually able to then talk about it and to actually like in a calm and regulated way, talk about what has happened, you know? Um, And so I think that my experience as someone who has experienced being a very fucking dehumanized and very like treated like absolute trash Mm. the type of people that we generally like turn our noses up at or like avert our eyes from and look away when we pass on the street because these types of people are very dehumanized people who Mm. are you know living in poverty and having very extreme mental health issues and we just don't offer them any compassion and so coming from that place of having experienced that it forces me to to know that everyone is someone because I was there I was one of those people that was dehumanized and now I know that like I was always a person and I deserved that compassion then just like I deserve it now and so that that like empathy and grace that I carry with me comes from having been on the other side of it of being denied that empathy and grace Mm. and so yeah I try to um I try to just embody that in what I do and to like offer that to everyone in whatever capacity I can in my day-to-day life. Yeah. Beautiful. Well, thank you for sharing. And um, thank you for sharing your time with me and the curious cuties today. Um, I appreciate you and like all of your work, like I had mentioned, um, I'm a big fan. I really appreciate all that you do. Um, Thanks for, thanks for being with us today. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on. It was a great conversation. Awesome. Thank you guys for listening. Um, We love you guys. And until next time.